to this week's conversation with Dr. Stephen Nett about the body and how to fix, protect, or maintain it using outside-the-box alternative solutions. If you're a big fan of the pharmaceutical or surgical approach, you are so in the wrong place. Because on this podcast, we're not going to be pushing the conventional medicine methods or way of thinking about health. If you're looking for another way to live longer and healthier, join me, Ron Ned, and my brother, Dr. Stephen Ned, for this week's Body Chat about five unconventional ways to eliminate neck pain that MDs won't tell you about. Me? I'm a retired Twin Cities chiropractor currently helping people buy and sell homes in the Tampa Bay and Los Angeles areas, while Steve has a thriving chiropractic practice in the Clearwater area of Tampa Bay, Florida. In this podcast, we're going to chat about all sorts of topics related to health, nutrition, exercise, just about everything having to do with the body. You're invited to listen into our body chat, but don't forget that neither of us is giving you personal health advice here. So don't rush off to do something without either checking with your doctor first or seeing Dr. Stephen Nett as a patient at his office. Good evening, Steve. Good evening, Ron. Here we are again. This week, we're going to be talking about neck pain. We're moving our way up from the low back pain. We know that neck pain is one of the top three complaints people go into chiropractors for. So were you able to find out what percentage of the population actually does suffer from neck pain? Yes, I did. And I found out that about two thirds of all people have neck pain at some point of time in their lives. And at any one point, about 20% of the US population has neck pain. What's interesting is when I researched that, I found out that the worldwide numbers range between 16 and 75%. And that brought a thought to my head that, well, maybe it's those cultures where the women walk around with fruit and other things on their head that might skew the numbers to the higher level. Yeah, no, I think it's going to be the lower level because that probably builds their neck muscles up more. I think it's the ones where the women have those necklaces where they've got like layers and layers and layers of them and their heads, they start looking like giraffes. Mm -hmm. You know which ones I'm talking about? Yeah. Have you ever seen those pictures? Yeah, those big traction units they were. That's correct. Uh, Moving right along, what things have you found are the most common causes of neck pain? Well, first of all, it would be tight neck muscles, and that is often caused by poor posture, stress, or exposure to cold temperatures like we spoke of in our first uh, webcast. The night before the big game. Exactly. Number two would be pinched nerves. And the one thing that I see the most in my practice is being caused by subluxations, the vertebral misalignments. Other things that can cause pinched nerves are bone spurs from arthritis and degenerated or herniated discs. And there's whiplash. And a whiplash is an injury to the muscles and possibly the ligaments and discs of the neck when they have an impact like they get hit from behind by another car. And it causes the head to jolt suddenly forward and then backwards. And also they usually experience from this neck pain, stiffness, and or headaches. Okay. So now if somebody has an auto accident, because this is not uncommon, somebody has an auto accident and they're smacked around in the car by somebody else's car and they don't have any neck pain right away, but a day or two later or several weeks later or several months later, they suddenly start having some neck pain. People don't quite understand that. So what is the mechanism at play there that causes that delay to happen? Well, first of all, it's real common for symptoms to be delayed 
initially for about 24 hours or more after the initial trauma, and especially if they've had a whiplash. And this initial delay could be caused by increased production of the stress hormone called adrenaline, mm-hmm. which is you know, something that you also hear about people having superhuman power. They lift cars and things like that. That's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Question you pose, though, about pain being delayed even longer, taking weeks to develop, it's less common than if it happened right away, but it's actually still pretty common, and it can be due to the body's incredible ability to suppress pain through the increased production of natural painkillers called endorphins. Okay. And what happens, yeah, over time, the production slowly disappears, allowing you to start feeling the pain again that was hidden earlier. That's interesting. I didn't know that aspect of things. Yeah. Well, our bodies just have all these incredible ways of suppressing pain, whether it's bending your head one way to keep the pain off a nerve or producing chemicals and so forth. It's just astounding what our bodies can do to keep us going. Okay. So then the short-term delay as far as pain is often due to the adrenaline from the accident and that aspect of things. That's usually a 24-hour, 48-hour type of delay in pain. And then the longer-term one is the um, what are those called? Endorphins. That's right. I called it completely blank there. I was going to say morphine, but I know you don't produce morphine from your own body. <laughs> anyway, the endorphins start getting produced by the body. And that's something, I guess that's what happens when people exercise a lot and they do heavy exercise and they're kind of doing minor tearing of their muscles to rebuild it, but they feel like really pumped up because of the endorphins. So it's a similar type of thing. And I have no idea why I went in that direction, but it doesn't matter because that's part of the fun of listening to this. So anyway, (laughs) there's the whole thing on short-term and long-term pain delay in auto accidents. So thanks for sharing that because I really didn't know about the whole endorphin thing before. Sure. Yeah. And the bottom line is when you have a true injury from an auto accident, it's vital to get it handled quickly and effectively, especially if your neck gets misaligned or it could end up healing misaligned and lead to a potential permanent injury condition. All right. What is the typical medical approach that you've seen for neck pain? And why isn't that the best route to take unless you have something more serious going on, like a ruptured disc or something like that? Typically, people are prescribed medications for pain, inflammation, or muscle tension. And for example, let's say a person has an auto accident and they go to the hospital They'll typically receive x-rays, which are close to 100% of the time negative for broken bones or dislocations. Mm -hmm. And then they'll be given painkillers and or muscle relaxants along with a neck brace and told that they'll probably be better and it'll self-resolve in about two weeks. Obviously, this isn't the best approach because it treats the symptoms only and doesn't fully address the injury. Mm -hmm. It's normally a mechanical problem. Things are been stretched or misaligned. The vertebrae have been twisted out of position. And there's no pill in the world that can realign vertebrae that are pinching nerves. That's correct. On top of that, all medications have side effects. That's very true. And one of the things on a, another podcast that I did an interview with some attorneys who deal with personal injury type situations that I brought up is that when people go to the hospital, they typically go into the emergency room. They've had an accident and they go in and in a lot of cases, they are having some pain. The emergency rooms are for emergencies, which is why they're called the emergency room. 
So that's what they're dealing with there. So their concern is that you haven't broken your neck or ruptured a disc or had a concussion or have something serious like that going on. That's what they're going to be looking for. A whiplash neck injury from an auto accident is a soft tissue injury, which is not a life-threatening situation, but it's a long-term thing. It takes a lot longer to heal, and they're not going to be looking for that. So people have to understand that because the problem is not that the emergency rooms should be doing that. That's not really their job. That's the job of somebody like yourself, like a chiropractor. So this is important for people to understand because it makes a big difference. And since we're kind of getting into that, I wanted to ask you a question I know a lot of people ask because they just don't understand why this is the way it is. If you break a bone, it will heal in like six weeks. But when you have a soft tissue injury, it can take months and months and months to heal. Why is that? You would think a broken bone would be more serious and that it would be taking longer. So what's the difference between the healing that goes on with a broken bone and a soft tissue injury? You know, I actually have two answers for that. The first okay. one is, is that usually when you have this type of injury, ligaments can be sprained, stretched, partially torn, and ligaments mm -hmm. do not get a decent blood supply. So it takes a long time for them to properly heal. Bones have channels where blood flows through them. They have bone marrow, and so they can heal rather rapidly. And even athletes sometimes want when they get the results from an x-ray or MRI, they're hoping for a broken bone as opposed to a torn ligament because of the amount of time that it usually takes to heal and rehabilitate. The second thing that I wanted to bring up was that if the person has a neck injury and we're trying to realign the neck to heal correctly while they are healing, the body isn't like a machine where you can take a screwdriver and tighten some screws or a socket set and mm -hmm. tighten things that way. It's dynamic. And so because of an injury where muscles have been stretched and ligaments have been stretched, it creates an unstable condition. And while the person's healing, we have to continue to put things back into the position. So when it does become stable, it is healed correctly and straight. Yeah, because the neck is in motion, whereas like your forearm is just one solid piece. The neck has got seven pieces that are all moving and interacting with each other. So it's a little bit different than a broken bone in your forearm. Right. And plus it has to support the weight of the head, which is like a bowling ball sitting on top of you. That's very true. All right. So now some medical doctors recommend physical therapy, and that seems to relieve the pain for some people, at least temporarily. What is your opinion of this approach? Is it a good approach? I mean, especially compared to things like drugs or surgery. And is it a complete enough approach for something like a whiplash? Well, it's definitely a very workable therapy for neck pain. In my professional experience, the two best approaches that I've found are massage, since they help relax the muscles of the neck, and traction, which helps to stretch the muscles and decompress discs and compressed nerves. However, if the pain is due to other causes, in particular what we were just talking about, misaligned vertebrae, only chiropractic adjustments can realign the vertebrae while the healing occurs and take the stress off of any involved nerves that are being irritated, giving them a chance to heal correctly. Physical therapy is very effective. It's just not always complete. Okay. And I'm going to put my two cents in here. Okay. 
One of the things that people don't realize is that in some cases you can have tight muscles because they were strained or something like that. But in other cases, a muscle will tighten up as a protective measure. It's the body trying to protect some part of the body that will be injured. And if a muscle is tightened up, it restricts motion and that motion might be the thing that causes harm. So if you have an injury to the neck and there's a nerve on the left side of the neck that's being irritated by a bone that's out of position, your body may tighten the muscles on the right side of your neck to pull your neck away from where the nerve is that's being irritated to take some of the pressure off of it. So getting physical therapy on those muscles without also addressing the bone that's irritating the nerve, it's never going to work because you're temporarily overriding a protective mechanism. It's kind of like when somebody gets a fever because the fever is trying to fight off and kill off the bacteria in the body. You can do something to reduce the fever, but if you're not getting rid of the infection, fever is going to come back. So physical therapy is good, but if there's an underlying problem like a subluxation, a bone that's out of position that's irritating a nerve, that's not going to actually get a long-term result. So there's my two cents or my three cents or whatever. Now onto one of the important things, which is the diagnostic approach. How do you approach neck pain and how is that different than the way medical doctors approach it? And why is that so important in the case management? Well, after the standard approach of doing a really good history to figure out what could be causing it, as well as the exam and possible x-rays and or an MRI, especially if there's a potential disc problem. Mm -hmm. I love doing a posture analysis on somebody because we can see if their head is pushed too far forward from where it should be. And the way that you can look at this is if you look at somebody on the side, so you look at the center of the ear and it should be right over the center of their shoulder. Okay. Most people, it's usually at least an inch forward. I've had patients where it was six inches forward. Wow. Yeah. And each inch that your head is forward increases the stress on the neck and the shoulders, the weight of the head. In other words, if your head weighs 10 pounds, if it's an inch forward, then it's now 20 pounds of stress. Okay. If it's two inches forward, it becomes 30 pounds of stress. So that's not good because your discs are in the front of your neck and the more weight that ends up being pushed down on your discs, the more that they can degenerate or they can start to bulge up and cause problems and pinching nerves. So what we like to do is on the patient's second visit is have them be able to see what their head looks like, what their posture looks like. It's very powerful because it gets them motivated to do something about it, especially if we assign neck exercises that can help that. It's very important because we're pinpointing the cause of the neck pain when we do these things, and then we can come up with corrective solutions, not only performed in the office, but also at home, whether it's what I just suggested, the exercises, but also just improve posture awareness, sitting up straight at the desk if you're at the computer and so forth. Using posture aids like braces or seat wedges, and even the posture medic that we love to recommend that helps pull your shoulders back and strengthen your upper back muscles. Makes perfect sense to me. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, that's very good. Now we've got the diagnostic aspect that we were looking at, but on the treatment side, what are some of the unconventional ways to eliminate back pain that people aren't going to necessarily hear about from their medical doctor? Well, first and foremost would be chiropractic adjustments and 
either using gentle hand adjustments or instruments such as the activator adjusting instrument, which uh, is now the second most widely used chiropractic technique in the world. It's been around for 50 years, and it's something that our family in particular has really benefited from, including our mother who couldn't handle standard chiropractic adjustments uh, because of her neck and would only allow chiropractors to use that the rest of her life when she had a disc problem. Yeah, she had a bad disc problem, and I remember it got to a point where when they tried to do a manual adjustment of her neck, she just couldn't tolerate it, and that was when we got I think that was either Rick or it was me that started in the activator classes and then she was able to start getting adjustments again. That's right. Okay. Another approach would be acupuncture and dry needling because they help stimulate endorphins, which we've already discussed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they also change the nerve and reflex responses so that you feel less pain. Mm, Okay. Cold laser therapy, also known as low-level laser therapy. It helps reduce pain and inflammation. It also helps improve cell communication and energy, and it can accelerate healing and reduce scar tissue. Very good. Neck exercises, isometrics are when you have somebody push against your hands to block the motion, and you're going to contract the muscles, but you're not going to actually move your head, whether you bend it forward or backwards. All right, so that would be like I put my hand on my forehead not with the shape of an L there, but just my hand on the forehead. And I push my head forward against my hand, but I'm not moving it forward. So it's like, be like pushing your one hand against your other hand and neither is moving in either direction, but you're getting both muscles contracting at the same time. That's right. Okay. Yeah. And then another one that we recommend, especially if we find that their head is pushed forward, like we just spoke of, Mm -hmm. neck retractions. And what that does is it works these tiny unused muscles in your neck that actually help control its position. And you see these birds walking along where they kind of jut their head forward when they walk. Well, we recommend that, but we obviously don't have them do it in public. We have them do it at home so they don't get teased. And we find that to be incredibly effective. And we've seen before and after posture pictures where that really pushed their head backwards into the right place. And if they want to play Olivia Newton-John's Let's Get Physical and put on headbands, they can do that because they're doing it at home. That's right. Okay. And one final one would be lying down traction, where you're laying down on your back face up, and the the traction unit stretches your neck longwise, as opposed to the old school prehistoric over-the-door water bag with the pulley system and the harness. Yes, I remember that. All right. And now getting that traction done, is that something that only happens when they come to see you in your office? Or is there some way that they can be doing traction at home? I know we're not doing the thing over the door anymore, but is there something that can be done by people at home to get some help on this between the times that they see you? Yes, there are units, including the one that we use in our office that can be used at home. They're very simple and very safe to use. Okay. As a matter of fact, I have one that I bought for myself that I used because I had a disc that swelled up. It was causing tingling in my fingers. And after using it every day for about a month, it cleared up. And so I put it in the office. I bought a second one and patients love it. And there are times where they only use it one time and say, where can I get one of these? And then I refer them to where they can buy it on the internet. 
That's great. So that's a home traction unit or a traction unit that they can purchase that's not outrageously expensive, like tens of thousands of dollars or whatever, and that they can then be doing some type of traction at home on the days or in between the times that they see you. That's right. Yeah, they run around $300 now. Okay. That's not too bad. No. All right. So those are some of the things that people can do. And the things that you went over are things that you would be doing with them when you see them as a patient and also things like exercise and home traction that they can be doing on their own. So there's a combination of things there that I hear. Yes. It's always a team effort. You know, we only have a certain amount of time in the office to work with a patient. And so for them to get the optimum result out of their care, we try to get them to participate at home also on their off days. I think that's great. Mm -hmm. Now, what's your opinion about cervical pillows? Oh, I'm a huge fan. I've tried almost all of them, including the roll, the memory foam pillow, the water pillow, the air pillow, the egg cart pillow. But I always go back to the decor pillow that I've been using for the last 27 years. And the reason is, is because it's ideal for not only back, but also side sleeping due to its shape and its firmness and its thickness. And I like the fact that it's hypoallergenic and it's also washable. That's great. So that's something that people, even if they're not currently having neck pain, it would be smart for them to do, right? Yeah, because it also can prevent problems from occurring too. And it's very therapeutic at the same time. Now, why is that? Why is it that it might prevent problems and be therapeutic, for, especially for people that are listening that don't know what a cervical pillow is or what it's doing or why you're using it? Well, when you lay on your back, it's good to have a little extra support instead of having a flat pillow. If you have one that has a little bit of an arch to it, it actually supports the natural curve in your neck. Mm -hmm. And it's actually therapeutic while you're sleeping too. Especially if people have had auto accidents, their head tends to jut forward, they lose the natural curve in their neck. So this would be something that can help restore it. I'm a side sleeper. So I use this pillow because it has the right depth and the right firmness to keep it from collapsing and having my head bend sideways, which can end up causing tight muscles and it can pinch nerves and so forth. So it actually keeps your head in the ideal posture while you're sleeping. That's great. Yeah. Now, what are some tips you can give people to prevent neck injuries? Well, first of all, as far as the workplace, the term ergonomics comes to mind. As far as the neck is concerned, the optimal workplace posture to prevent neck pain and posture degeneration. And that would be things like uh, having the computer height uh, perfect so that your eyes are level with the screen, a desk where you can either sit or stand, and a seat that has a neck support, a cervical support. I have one of those in my office and it's fabulous. I can sit up uh, leaning back against it and still be able to type and function properly. That's great. Yeah. We just went over the sleeping habits and that's another thing that can prevent neck injuries. One thing that I'm really stoked about because I researched this and I found out some things that'll be really fun to share. This is going to be some excellent take-home information for everybody and that is in addition to the seatbelt, your headrest position is really important. Okay. It essentially should be positioned the headrest where mm -hmm. it touches your head. Mm -hmm. Less than two inches below the top of the head or at least at the level of the top of your ears. And in addition to that, the distance from the back of your head to the restraint should also be less than two inches. 
So I'll just follow the two inch rule. It should be less than two inches from the top of the head and less than two inches from behind the head where you actually touch it. That makes sense because if it's too low and you're in an auto accident, it would almost act like a lever under your neck and cause more problem as opposed to stopping your head from going back any further. If it's too low and if it's too far back, of course, then it's got that much more distance that your head can travel that much more damage that can be caused. All right, so it needs to be no more than two inches below the top of your head where your head touches the headrest and it shouldn't be any further than two inches back from where your head is when you're sitting driving. That's right. Okay, good. All right, thanks for those. Yeah, and one more thing is always avoid walking into sliding glass doors. Yes. <laughs> and we've had several relatives in our past that happened to. Not only is that embarrassing, but it can also do some serious damage to the door and the glass. That's right. And there are some really good stickers you can put on glass to make sure. Did you put any on your sliding glass doors in your house yet? No, because I haven't done that, but I remember mom used to have stuff on there. Yes, that's true. Well, we're not going to name names of who walked in the sliding glass doors. <laughs> okay. So now, is there anything else you'd like to say on this topic before we end? Yeah, neck pain is not something that you have to live with. It's not normal, and something can always be done about it, especially when you know what's causing it. So my advice is always persist in finding out what is responsible for your neck pain, and you'll likely feel better about the situation because it's not a mystery anymore. And then you can now focus on a solution to potentially eliminate your problem altogether. That's great. Well, thank you again, Steve. This is very good information uh, that you shared twice. If the listeners want to know, we did the entire interview. And at the end, I found that I had forgotten to press the record button. So this is the second time through the interview. So thanks for sharing all that information both times. It was You're very welcome. helpful. And next one, we're going to be talking about diets, which are going to be of interest to all the people who ate three helpings of stuffing on Thanksgiving and ate all of the cookies their neighbors brought them for Christmas. And we're going to look at the diets that aren't fads, but ones that actually are better for your body and get the results. So that'll be the next one. Then we have other topics coming up on our weekly podcast. So again, thanks for sharing your time, Steve. Thank you. I'm really looking forward to it. Great. And we'll see everybody next week. Thanks for joining us this week on the Body Chat Podcast. We both really appreciate your time and your attention. We want to provide you with interesting and informative episodes each week. And if you have a topic you'd like us to cover or any questions you'd like us to answer, send an email to us at info at bodychatpodcast.com. That's info at bodychatpodcast.com. Next week, we're going to chat about a better way to lose weight and keep it off. To make sure you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, subscribe to the Body Chat Podcast now on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify. See you next week. Bye.